Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at B'nai Torah Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun, a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Today's podcast is Understanding Learning and Development for Each Child. Each child brings skills and strengths to learning and also brings a trust the grown-ups in their world will celebrate their uniqueness. That means the grown-ups must have the best possible information about development and learning and a fearless openness to learning with each child. We are required to guide and lead and make choices that encourage and support learning. From the physical components of learning like vision to the foundations of literacy in movement and interacting with environment. Children are complex, multi-sensory, whole body, whole brain personalities with a deep curiosity and drive to learn. I have two exciting guests at the square table today. I have Larry Lampert, a developmental optometrist, and Mira Halpert, co-owner of 3D Learner. Let's hear more about how we can better understand optimal learning environments for toddlers and young children. Mira, will you get us started? Well, honestly, you're going to laugh, but learning starts with movement. Yes. It really is. It's, you know, your body, oh, wait, connected to your brain. So your brain and body movement and that coordination starts from the moment the kids are born. Maybe, maybe sooner, but we all know about that movement piece. And though I work with school-age children and above, preschool or four-year-olds up, I'm going to tell you that it starts from tummy time. From tummy time. From tummy time. Okay, give everyone the huge <laughs> emphasis. The huge, I'm, I'm in education. I've been that piece. I've sort of become, I've had a vision problem. But um, so I certainly know what what vision and movement. But the piece really is it comes from when you're when a baby is on their tummy, they don't have anywhere to go but to look down, and they know where they are in space. When they're on their backs and they're someone peers at them over a crib, they have no idea how far away you are. So that they don't have any sort of figure ground from the beginning. And I sort of say that tentatively when I'm sitting here with a vision specialist. But the movement piece is really key. And having them on their tummy, and I hear moms all the time when I see them, their kids at six and seven, that say, oh, they never really liked tummy time and they didn't really do it, so we just really didn't do it very much. Part of that piece is when did they crawl? Did they crawl? Okay, give us the connection between tummy time and brain, and then we're going to turn it over to Dr. Well, Lampert. time and brain is sort of the brain-body connection. So if you're on, and, and they now we now know everything certainly comes from your core, and they're finding more and more things that are coming from your core. And if you're on your tummy and you reach for something, your eyes follow your hand, and your hand brings you brings something back to your mouth. Where is your mouth? The center of your body. So they start to be able to make connections 
that are feeling grounded, the sensory part that they can feel from the ground, yes. to them where their their eyes and their brain, all of it has to work together. It doesn't just... And why does cross-lateral matter? Well, because the opposites, you know, there are opposites attract. The right side of your brain controls the left side of your body, and the left side of your brain controls the right side of your body, by and large. So if you're actually being able, if you're happily using both sides of your body, ergo you're using both sides of your brain. And that has to be, pathways have to be ingrained from the bottom up. Everybody talks later on about executive skills. That's all the way up at the top. So being able to try and build that from the bottom comes from movement at the bottom. So if you move your right and your left, and then your left and your right, and no one can see how we're, how I'm moving in this in this. She's crawling on the table. I'm crawling, yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's where it starts. And getting these kids to start to feel comfortable about that then starts to be able to build all kinds of cognitive connections. But if we don't get their bodies moving, it starts with gross motor skills and then moves to fine motor skills and then moves. I mean, it's just, but all of it is so intertwined. I don't even know how you pull it out. I mean, I think literally you cannot think unless you've had the movement. And and that's going to take us right to eye coordination and vestibular control. Okay, Dr. Lampert, jump in. To go back to that, babies are born legally blind, and their eyes don't work together as a team, and they're not myelinating. Okay, well, I have to interrupt right away because I have a question. So they can't see to my elbow? Not clearly. They see forms and shapes. Okay. But the foveal vision, the ability to see 20-20 is until about 9 to 10 months. And all this develops from light, form, stimulation, experience, movement. Uh, Vision is to gather information to direct movement is the main job. Yes. You don't judge where am I, where are things in space. Uh, The work you're talking about, bilateral interweaving, right side, left side, the interweaving. That's why we'll see more visual tracking problems in children who did not crawl because they didn't have that right arm, left leg interweaving going back and forth. Okay, I need you to unpack that for us. So visual, repeat that whole, describe that. Well, just unpack you're born it for us. without a lot of visual skills, legally, legally blind on a chart, and your eyes don't work together as a team. So all that occurs from experience. You know, light and form stimulation and the experience of movement. Um, the visual system has a million nerve fibers going into the brain. The next system down is auditory with 30,000. So there's a lot more division than just looking at these letters on the chart. Even when a child's older and all these tests and screenings are about seeing 2020 on a chart, the last time you read a chart at the eye doctor's office, you will notice that you read a letter and to see the next one, you actually had to move your eyes to the next letter, yes. right? There wasn't a very large span of clear vision. And that's the foveal system. From that all the way out to the periphery or the sides is peripheral processing. That goes into the brain 25% faster, 20% for balance. That's part of what guides movement, tells us where are we, where are other things in space. Think about when you walk through doorways. You don't think about... (laughs) Why I run into them. (laughs) Yeah, well, hopefully you don't because that's another problem. I run into with strokes and concussions and visual midline shift syndromes. We talk about all the property of this peripheral processing, which is the system that gathers the information, where am I in space, where are other things. Think about when you drive down the road for five minutes and you're daydreaming. You're all on that system. You go, how come I don't run off the road when I'm not paying attention? Right. You know, you're on this ambient visual processing system. So this is hooked into the movement and right. the guidance and where am I, where are things. And even the tracking system when we read, how do the eyes land on the right words all the time? It's peripheral processing leading those movements. 
And so what are the most important things that you want parents to know under one and one to two in terms of how to interact with their children's vision or how to, how to monitor it and how to, to, to give them the experiences? Right. There's, there's different schools of thought out there. The optometrists basically believe you should screen every children, a well screening at six months. And if they see certain types of astigmatism developing or other things, we don't correct it, but we can give certain types of exercises how to work with a child who's developing this type of astigmatism. Um, ophthalmologists are more like, well, let's just do screenings in the office and wait till they're much older to do an eye exam, where the developmental people are more, let's get in there younger and just kind of monitor what's going on and maybe direct the parent. Yeah what they can do. But even an infant um, is more sensitive to borders. So black and white checkered patterns, hanging maybe a blanket like that or some kind of target like that, moving a crib around a room maybe so that a child doesn't always have the wall on their right when they're sleeping and just have the space of the room into the left, you know, move the crib around. So sometimes the space is on the right, maybe the, uh, the crib's in the middle of the room. The mobiles that we used to watch, mobiles, whatever you call them, you know, they used to make them so the parents could see them, but the children couldn't. couldn't. So now they're making them where the children can see them. But just stimulating vision, whether it's through movement, catching, rolling balls, and just looking for developmental milestones to come in at appropriate times. Okay, so I let me verify something that I tell parents, and I'll, and you can both give me your feedback on this. So we, of course, with six-month-olds, do that crazy song, Grand Old Duke of York. We bounce them on our laps, we flip them upside yep. down, and I say, when you flip them upside down, make sure they're going to be able to find your face. Mm-hmm. And, so, but, and I say, and I promise you, this will be a pre-reading game. Because yes. if your child can get disoriented in space and then find their place but again, reorient. Um, how how do those simple early child peekaboo all of that? How is that? You know, where did something go? Um, it was here, and then all this new brain research about you know things happening behind a curtain, and at nine months old, the babies can predict whether that's um, the right number of objects that still remains, or you know. They're, they're doing visual processing. Vision is learned, okay? The language, I mean, everything is all is about learned. reading is about language, and kids that aren't reading, it's a language disorder. And they completely, they completely dismiss vision. It's really hard to read if you can't see. But the point really is, is that all of the things that we're talking about and that Dr. Lamper talks about from the beginning is it's vision has to be learned. Your brain has to be able to set up all of those kinds of things. So all those games... But you're right, the upside-down piece. And what what are we missing in parks now? We're missing swings. Monkey bars. I, I, and monkey bars, I swear, it's because all of these kids had visual well, processing issues and their parents were lawyers and they got hurt and they sued. I mean, I, it, that's cities are and schools are taking them away. It's vital for a kid. Like climbing right. trees, hanging upside down, being, and you're right, being able to then they learn how to be able to reorient. It's and, you know, the what's also missing is the eye contact that we used to have. I worry about what's going to happen to a generation where parents are looking at cell phones all day, even while nursing. Uh, there's something called gaze monitoring where, you know, when you're feeding your baby, hopefully there's a lot of eye contact and interaction in that way. And there's something called gaze monitoring where if a baby's looking at the mom and someone comes through the doorway, mom looks at the doorway, the baby will kind of track and then look back at the mom for reinsurance, and that's called gaze monitoring. They found that that is absent, maybe predictor of someone who's going to be autistic when they get a little older. They're not 
you know, firing those mirror neurons or whatever, which we could talk about. I want to come back to mirror neurons, but let's stay with gaze monitoring. You know, gaze monitoring can be a predictor for that. And just, I wonder how many parents are just on a cell phone when the child's in the playground, maybe does something for the first time in their life, looks over to mom or dad for approval, and they're on the phone. And maybe they were reading a book before years ago. They could have have been doing other things. But I just think there's so much attention to our devices today that we're missing the eye contact with our children. And so the eye contact checking on the parent Mm -hmm. creates this fabulous learning, physical, Mm -hmm. complex spiral that the child is going to grow from because the emotional attachment, the visual contact, and the future learning are all intimately connected. And they're looking for approval from mom or dad when they do something Right. For the first time, great on yes, the playground. But that approval is this magnificent puzzle piece right. to greater learning. And I want to I just well, want to add one more thing on gaze monitoring. Um, so don't lose your thought there, Mira. But it's this idea. Brazelton had a study from a long time ago that said when moms are feeding, whether breastfeeding or bottle mm-hmm. feeding, um, they believe that by making eye contact and jostling the mm-hmm. baby to say eat, eat, eat was actually helping the baby eat more. Brazelton found out, no, they're not eating more, but the baby will look away in order to engage mom to socially and emotionally connect during the feeding. And so we have these beautiful DNA things that are implanted that says, I can make everything work social, emotionally, cognitively, and physically to help me grow and thrive. And we may not have always understood what we were doing, but it all worked. And mm-hmm. now we have some, let's stay with, uh, Mira, no, if you have no, a point, no, then I want to come exactly back to right, devices. Because I think we're so used to using language as words as the device, when really these kids are watching all the time. And, you know, your your whole system is all connected, whether you're hearing or whether you're watching and whether you're moving, which then, you know, comes back into the major vestibular system. But they are watching and, and wanting to be able to, there's a way, and, I mean, yes, and going into mirror neurons. I mean, there's a way that they are doing it from, it's a natural piece that starts from the very beginning. So the, the bonding, the connection, the eye contact, mm-hmm. parent-child and child-to-world. And I want, and we all know about devices. So, I mean, just a phone on the table makes people feel less connected in a conversation, less emotionally connected. So, and we, the, the studies are also very clear that school-age children are feeling the gap that their child, that their parents are farther removed just by those advice by those devices being visible, uh, let alone let alone the devices um, the two year olds that are using them themselves. Okay, I so mean, that's, that's, that's um, a whole other. I want I want to go there now. I want to go to the the physical, the visual, and and the impact of screens for kids. Dr. Lampert. Well, you have increases in myopia in the population. Uh, tell us this. Tell us the facts. Yeah. Well, I don't know exact statistics, but I know that there's just more nearsighted kids more than nearsighted there ever were kids. in history. Um, there was a one tribe of Eskimos, I believe, in Alaska, about 300 people. There were only two nearsighted people, one mildly and one about minus 150, if you know what those numbers mean. And by the time the first generation went through school, about 60% required glasses. And did, from, does reading books? Um, That's what we think. You know, that was a change in the environment. So the book start, the books right. was the change versus the books were the living change. in the natural world. And now world. we're looking at these devices that we see another increase in the amount of myopia yes. 
in young people. And one of the thoughts is, like, you know, computer screens is different than looking at black and white print. Those are very sharp borders. Computer screens have a bunch of little dots called pixels, and the human eye doesn't stay focused or fixed focus as accurately on that. And it's fluttering a lot of times in and out. And sometimes that fluttering is thought to create headaches or, you know, for some people, migraines, even from the flickering of a And what about attention? Does it change the nature and quality of attention? Well, I would think so. Some people think that because things are so stimulating, the games they're playing and everything, that average stuff becomes boring Yeah, where it didn't used to be. Well, and they're also just part of their eyes are moving, part of their body is moving, right? They're not Mm -hmm. moving. So they're getting the same sensation. So it's triggering the same part of the brain as if they were, just like any sort of emotion piece. So you can sort of get that. I mean, when we were talking about... You know, the Eskimos, we also certainly know about the, the Native American, let alone, you know, they used to talk about hunters and gatherers. And then we also know what that's done in terms of learning and later learning and from experience. Right. No, tell us, tell us, tell well, us. I'm not well, sure I know. <laughs> extreme astigmatism right. in Native Americans, you know, that we think, think how would they have been the hunters they were if they had the visual systems they have now from the exposure. You know, from the environment and the reading. And this isn't a positive evolution well, moving into a new world? Well, no, I mean, it's kind of funny because at some point, I, I mean, I, I wrote this sort of nonsensical Dr. Seuss type book years ago about life as a ball, don't put me in a box, about the fact that these kids are sort of like the hunters are kind of like balls, that they are looking everywhere, right? And I've learned a lot from Dr. Lampert over the years about this whole sort of peripheral vision, and they are then become global learners. I'm looking at the whole big thing. Versus the fact that then there were gatherers. Well, we need both. But we've now become much more of a gatherer society in terms of the way we educate kids because it's very logical, it's very sequential, oh, it's very auditory. We've become we've become so narrow in that box. Exactly. You know, focal vision, we call it, the right. center vision system. I work with law enforcement, and one of the events I was invited to to speak, Actually, in the letter they invited me, they said, you know, with all the devices in the cars now that the police officers drive, our officers are losing their powers of observation. And what that means is, you know, everybody's going central into these devices, and then they don't notice what's in the peripheral vision. You know, think about what the peripheral vision did when we were hunters and gatherers. You know, was there something moving out there that could become food or danger that we had to avoid? And our vision through these devices is just becoming more and more focalized that it's thought that over time we may just even lose the sensitivity of the periphery. The peripheral vision training has been shown in senior drivers to reduce, by training peripheral vision, awareness of it. They called it useful field of view. It reduced car accidents up to 50% improved braking distance 22 feet at 55 miles an hour it was more effective than practicing more driving or working on driving simulators just tune up the vision the visual skills of center peripheral integration you know we talk about tracking problems i already mentioned where does tracking what's the stimulus for tracking is this peripheral processing what next time you read look at what your eyes are doing they don't scan across the page they make precise jumps what governs these precise jumps to be accurate and right where they should be, as opposed to a child who's skipping over words, skipping lines, skipping sentences. Well, what we've always said is, as reading educators, is in order to become, because I'm early childhood, I'm, right. I'm, in, and mm-hmm. and certainly I'm, my expertise is before those formal skills come into place. And what I want to say is, in order to be a great reader, you have to be a risk taker. You have to be able to make that leap that says, with emotional confidence and the confidence that. 
my systems are working and I can rely on them. What, and right. then the, well, the GPS thing, we're also saying we've, we're losing all spatial is, intelligence. Right. Look, my background is an early child as well, which is why it scares me a little bit that we're pushing these three and four-year-olds to read we need to, I'm sorry, I mean, it's yeah, sort of like we need to, we need to push these three and four-year-olds to love what is happening with reading, but having them sit at a table and having them find motor skill of hold a pencil, right, I, you know, all playing, of that, yeah, outside. playing, like they should be, I mean, by all of your sensory tables and rolling and doing somersaults. I, I have to laugh because um, my reading assessment is having kids do jumping jacks. And of course, you can imagine the reading world goes nuts. Like how could, they don't understand it. They right. couldn't figure out. And it's that whole sort of motor coordination piece. Sure. And they're like, what's motor coordination need? You're sitting and reading a book. That doesn't have right. to do Right, or the whole awareness. I, I once asked a child, when you're on your bicycle and you're kind of turning towards the left, is that bicycle leaning towards the left or towards the right? And they were dumbfounded. They didn't right. know. They have no idea. Because which, they hadn't... Which okay. goes back to tummy time, which, I mean, like, right. see, all of this whole connect... I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, just... Sh- I, I, I'm just... My only fear is that the magnitude of these ideas um, still aren't clear to the world. And so, the way, let's go back to the box. Because when we have this anxiety in parents saying, yes, but I need them to be readers, I need to have that reassurance that my child is going to be successful, prepared for this world. And and I'm playing devil's advocate 100%, not the hunter-gathering, because maybe we don't need those skills anymore. Oh, actually, it's probably the opposite. It is. It's probably the opposite. What I I want you to speak to is how... There are children that look successful in the box, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a high price to um, to the losses that we're experiencing, whether it's the the disengagement from screen time to the overemphasis on academics um, in early childhood. What? Where do you give me the whole, give me all of the prices and the cost of? To uh, individ- new to that technology, child. like how, where are we? I mean, like new things. I mean, kids today are doing things that we never ever would have thought. And okay. parents are excited and proud I mean, of that. You know, I'm old enough that I remember when you know Bill Gates said we are going to have a computer in everybody's at everybody's home. I met a neighbor who had a computer that was so excited because he took over his whole basement. If we know what basements are in Florida, and it was all tubes. Look where we've come in just the last number of years. I mean, it is really hard to believe, let alone the fact that if we, if you know, we used to have just black and white TVs, there is something of like what you're saying about the color, let alone sort of color monitors. But the whole idea about that the kids are really better off if they have music, if they have art experiences, if they have movement experiences. The reading piece, yes, they have to have language. There's no doubt about that, about where that plays. Right, they need those six they million need those. words. They need yeah. those six million words, but they need those six million words to understand what they mean, not to read them down a list. And, and so we have this piece. blip in, in, in between pre-K, maybe threes, pre-K, and what do we say, like third, fourth grade, where parents are in this huge anxiety bubble that says, my child isn't doing what their peers are doing, what some people tell me they can teach. And then what happened, but the price 
is long term. Right. Now, I wonder if one of the prices is that we're teaching children to learn, but are we teaching them to think? Go for or it. at least yes. think with yes. what they learn. Yes. yes. And it's even the field I'm in, developmental vision, is so over- overwhelming. When I first started to learn about it, was the more I learned, the more I did not know. And it was frustrating, you know, and I had to get over that learning curve, but I stuck with it. And the number one reason people don't go into my field when they surveyed them was that the students said, I'm going to school, I want to learn, I don't want to have to think. They just wanted to learn the facts and get into medicine or whatever they got into. It was like, oh, the problem A, solution B. Here's the, oh, it didn't work, it works 80% of the time. Well, they come back if it didn't work and they were in that 20%. How do we create children that can detect that 20% right off the bat? You know, or innovators. The inventors, create. the innovators, the yeah, creators. Yeah, the Bill Gates right. of the world who never finished college or did, you know, how do we round that child so that we don't only give them the learning skills, we give them the thinking skills and the innovations to think about things that nobody ever thought about. Okay, so herself. tell us about your games. Tell us about your apps. Tell us what you're doing for sports teams. Tell us how this, all these early childhood vision right. pieces right. fit to well, lifelong success. My, my passion is what I call visual skills training. Most eye cares about how you read a chart and the organ, the care of the organ doesn't have, go into what are you doing with your vision. So my passion is visual skills training. I work with uh, professional baseball teams, the Minnesota Twins minor league system, the Cardinals. I work with the Palm Beach Sheriff's Office, a SWAT team, where we train the eye movement skills, the perceptual skills, how to not tunnel in a situation. You know, tunnel vision, we've heard of that, and you lose awareness of what's in the periphery, and it will make the ball smaller, moving faster. How do we keep the ball bigger, moving slower? So these are called visual skills, tracking skills for reading. I work with concussion rehab and stroke rehab. So out of that, I've developed computer-based programs, um, iPerformance.com. So you're not against screen time. It, it's, a, it's a tool. No, well, it, the screen time tool is what reduced car accidents up to 50% improved braking distance 22 feet at 55 miles an hour in senior drivers. So it was tuning up the peripheral awareness, useful field of view. So that was done on a screen, just as all the drills I can do. So if, if our kids are going to play games, maybe they should be games that benefit visual performance performance in the environment, sports performance. Visual skills trainings raised the team batting average, University of Cincinnati, 30 points, Air Force Academy, the same thing. Crazy. By training the eyes. Crazy. Not making letters clear on a chart, but training eye movements, central peripheral integration, peripheral vision skills, so that these things became more efficient. I think University of California proved that seniors can bring their visual skills down to more youthful levels with about 11 to 12 hours of training. Wow. So that's my passion is this, yeah. I'll call it visual skills training. Well, even in healthy these individuals. parents will be interested to know because I just, I was just at a, at a, at a recent um, behavioral optometry meeting where what they were presenting was about how this visual training and IQ, which these parents today are all about, right? Being able to have their children tested. And what they found was with certain visual training, not a surprise, the IQ test actually went up. Why? Because of performance sure. that is asked about in visual coding. Well, it, it's sort of interesting because that's sort of the name of the game is everybody wants to be able to know that. And they sort of looked at this because we know that children that are highly gifted, you know, or that are close to that have sometimes have this, have a processing piece and that processing piece, which is slower than where they're academic, as you will, sort yeah. of ability maybe, comes from 
It can just be how they're mechanically using right. their eyes. Imagine. Are they slower or faster? <laughs> okay. And for how many years did we believe, oh, IQs don't change? Oh, that's right. Okay, go, go for on. it. Go for oh, it. There isn't no. Because it's a, the that. brain is a muscle. Right. The brain is a muscle that's then, growing through experience and problem solving and mistake making. And oh, right. by the way, that emotionality right. about the person that is doing the assessment. So, sure. I, I mean, Say that again. That. Well, the person that is doing the assessment with the child, you know, it's sort of this. And if a child doesn't know how to be able to make a connection from everything that we've been talking about, from the fact that there is eye contact or they don't like the environment that they're that they're in or whatever, that can totally affect sure. that assessment. Yes. How are they getting that information? From all their sensories piece, but primarily their vision. And I think right. you know, Dr. Lampert has the, the statistic. What do we have? Over 75% of our information that comes sure. in yeah. visually. Visually. Yeah. Or there's claims that learning, you know, is 80% visual. But just think about the child who's focus fatigues as they're doing the test. Right. And I don't mean mental focus, just the focusing system of the eye is, is relaxed in the distance. It's cranking energy to, to look yes. two to feet try in front and of get its face. Both your eyes so together. that just, yeah, or trying to hold the eyes together, those type of skills can cost the child dearly in this testing as they fatigue. Okay, so I can imagine, I'm just guessing here. That when a child, I mean, just the stress and anxiety of being in any school structured program, right. even mm-hmm. a happy one, um, a child needs that resource, resource, recess time. They need time to play. They need right. time to release. They need time to relax. I they agree. need that balance. I agree. So, how, are there also things like that for vision? How do I also need to relax my eyes yes. as often as I need to engage? Yeah, there's different rules. And again, you know, Sometimes it's not that one thing's right and one's wrong. Sometimes everything's right to a different degree. Uh, but there's people believe, like, say, every 20 minutes of reading, you should look up 20 feet away for two minutes or so. You know, just take a break every so many minutes yeah, from yeah. the close work, which is more stressful in the eye than looking, for most people, into the distance. Yeah. Um, peripheral vision activities or exercises. The Hawaiians used to do a walking meditation called Hakalau, where they walk the earth and they breathe through their stomach and they concentrated on how far out to the sides they could see with their eyes. And that's a peripheral expansion meditation that they did back in ancient days. And, you know, peripheral expansion is thought to be the relaxation response for the visual system. So I work with pro golfers. If I get a pro golfer who's really tense or stressed or, you know, they're uh, not doing well, it's the exercise is to breathe and become as aware of you can as your perf- of your peripheral vision and that will calm you down or okay. relax you. Okay. I mean, for a decade... Think the opposite of tunnel vision. Think about it. Right, that. because we play right. I spy with my own little eye mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Every, but maybe there's another game that's about how we engage right. two-year-olds, three-year-olds into this expansive right. vision. Sure. Exactly. Sure. That's uh, it. Right. Crazy. Yeah. It crazy. is really crazy. It's how far I, away I, can yeah. you turn and watch and, you know. Yeah, even even in the law enforcement work I do, they call tunnel vision. It's called body alarm reaction. Yeah. Fight or flight. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, we have officers that pull their weapon in a situation. Oh, it's like my vision became a tunnel and I couldn't yeah. see anything through the sides. Yeah. 
You know, so there's exercises to expand that out. And parents need to know that under stressful situations for themselves. I right. mean, when we good. went through when we went through active threat training here, because right. it's a new world, and and right. that whole idea of tunnel vision was so dominant in mm-hmm. how do you stay aware, how do you evaluate the situation, how do you do you right. to get calm, and so realizing that. All of our responses to our environment, including the parenting questions. So, mm-hmm. like right, your, exactly. your joke about IQ, it's we li- parents are under so much stress oh. these days that we want to give them this reassurance that says, you know what, You're there are tools, okay. there are strategies, and if you can trust yourself, your child, and the systems right. that our bodies give us, that there sure. is a I mean, more we're balanced just way to so proceed. So many more four and five and six year olds that are anxious, and part of that goes back to that exact fight or flight, that reflex system. And where is most of that information coming from? That they're actually tensing up, and then they are in fight or flight. And now I'm afraid to go here, or I'm afraid to do that, and then they're afraid to be able to do anything else. Their poor little bodies just are in constant tension all the time. <sighs> It's there's so much. Tell me what 3D learner means, which is well, your so, website well, and your book. Well, kind of 3D learner are a lot of these kids who are visualizing 3D. Okay, so the the, the so premises the, of 3D the learning. The 3D learner really is a premise of kids that learn differently, and kids that sometimes How they many almost kids learn are, differently? oh well actually now the statistics are up over sixty percent. Over sixty percent, and so which is different than what it was ten years ago, which is different than what it was twenty. So the population is shifting. So these are kids that, by and large, you know, parents will say, well, do they have attention issues? Well, they might have attention issues to that which is they don't get, which is boring. They certainly also have a lot of, a lot of vision, which is why over the years I've, I've known and worked with Dr. Lampert because so many of these kids have visual, well, visual processing issues or visual eye-teaming tracking that is not picked up anywhere. And so we realize that we work with these kids that, that do learn differently to be able to get them to be able to you talk about thinking right. skills, have them be able to be okay with the fact that they think differently. They may think differently than their parents. Oh, yeah, Grandpa thought. Sometimes they have a dyslexia diagnosis. We don't label. I mean, quite honestly, um, when you talk about this, like, where do we go? I'm all about strengths. Let's talk about what these kids can do. Because the labels aren't there to limit. The labels aren't there to frighten and to create anxiety. The labels came from a new information, new new resource, new way to support. Don't even think of the word intervention. You know, I always say to parents... that's the problem. I think they're looking for what is wrong. And so when you look for what is wrong... Okay, now we are in this data-driven kind of society and everybody's looking for data. Well, there's data to be found in what we can do so when dr lampert was talking about sort of these kids that you know that that are that are doing different sorts of things well that's hard to put them in a study because not everybody is going to be able to learn all that way well you know education has become so much more like the medical model and the the medical model is learning is that oh my goodness they're human factors and so for these children we have to be able to look at what's right and it's honestly i I've been an educator for a long time. It is now probably more up to the parents than it's ever been before. About to be the advocate and the force. And to find those, find those abilities and go outside. And I just want to go back to this central peripheral integration of vision. And all senses have that to some extent. And that how, you know, what came to mind for me was 
and helps understand is that I was at a conference for police and one of the women presenting was the mother of an autistic child now in his 20s and was speaking to the officers about when you encounter these kids that the lack of eye contact doesn't mean disrespect. Right. Oh, good for And it. the officer should know that. And she said, my own son, it was not until he was in his 20s, said when she would constantly ask him, when I talk to you, why don't you look at me? And he was finally able to verbalize and say, Mom, when I look at you, I cannot hear what you're saying. I can't think. Yeah. Because going into that center focal visual system was so draining on the, the, the other senses that he couldn't do that. So that's why I get at vision is much more than these letters on the chart. That's yeah. been around since before the Civil War to see who could hold a rifle. And even part of this peripheral processing, the people do what I do, we prescribe things called yoked prisms. Now, these are not glasses prescriptions for the chart. They're for this peripheral processing. Mm. Can we take a child more into the periphery? Can we bring a child who's overstimulated by the periphery? Yes. You know, the soldiers were coming back with these concussions, and eye doctors for years in the Army were telling them, there's nothing wrong with your eyes, you're fine, and yet they had trouble converging their eyes to read, and they also had trouble with peripheral vision being hypervigilant, I call it. Oh. They couldn't walk down the aisle of a supermarket without all the things on the shelves bombarding their visual system. It was too hypervigilant out here in the periphery. Wow. So and that what, wasn't brain damage. Well, yeah, concussion. So it was a yeah, trauma was a to the of, brain. Right. Yeah. You know, post-trauma vision syndrome. And there's different things we do for that, by nasal, you know, blocking parts of the visual But it could field. be healed and corrected. Yeah, and that's now the U.S. Army's doing that at Walter Reed and four other centers, where years ago they were just sending these guys home. So my point is that there's a lot more to vision than just the chart. Yeah, yes. You know, the 20-20 chart. And even if you get a passing eye exam that hasn't looked at these other areas... You don't know for sure. And the worst thing I see is these ch these children coming in that have been invalidated. Yeah. Oh, you know, they're really having a problem, but someone hasn't identified it for them and they're made wrong. And they know inside something's wrong, but I'm being told there's nothing wrong. Okay, so you see young children, mm -hmm. you have tools for families. Um, and so tell us how tell us how you can support families and where what direction you would give them when they're well, not sure if they're validating yeah, and I mean, seeing and hearing. You know, there's people all over the world. I would say go to the COVD College of Optometrists and Vision Development website. You can put in a zip code, get somebody near you. COVD.org. Um, you know, I'm in Boca Raton, so I see children here, and I support people um, actually all over the world. And through. do you do that six month? Evaluation? Do you do you see I don't them do a yet? lot of them. Okay. All right, because I'm not as comfortable with the infants, but okay. I do do some of them. I tend to get the skills area where the little older, the sports, school age, the sports. school age, okay. applied those type, skills, building those yep. type of skills. Okay. Um, I'm experienced in it, and it's interesting because there's something called a Mohindra technique where if you're feeding a baby, their eyes go into a natural state. All races, all kids we know of on the earth, and you can check and see are they nearsighted, farsighted, astigmatism without the subjective or asking the better one or two part. So yeah, I'm skilled at that. I do that. I just don't get a lot of it in my practice. So right. I think where I live, most people take their, they don't take the children, they just take them to pediatricians. Right. They don't right. even take them to the ophthalmologist. Well, tell everyone your website before we... Uh... It's drlampert.com, Dr. Lampert, D-R-L-A-M as in Mary, P as in Paul, E-R-T.com. And you can certainly get information. My software is at iPerformance.com, E-Y-E-P-E-R-F-O-R-M-A-N-C-E.com. And I even have some stuff I've developed on the phones and the iPads, um, apps at, if you search iPerformance, two words, 
on your devices. You can pick up a free app I've Fantastic. developed that Fantastic. the kids can start doing some of this work. And before we do our wrap-up, Mira, will you tell everyone how to find you guys? Well, so we are also located in Boca Raton, but we actually are able to work with kids from around the world. Thank you, technology. And so we work with both with parents and with kids, and, and let alone sort of advocate as well. We are at, at World Wide Web, but the number three, the letter D, learner, L-E-A-R, N-E-R dot com. Dot com. And the book is also available on your website and everywhere. We realized that we needed to be able to try and help parents, especially transform that stress because they are under a lot of it to be able to help their kids be able to be all they can be. Well, I'm excited. Um, I know that I have to bring you both back to talk to my parents live um, because I think there's invaluable information here. To me, it is about the nature of hands-on, hearts-in, playful interaction in this world um, for all of us and and then understanding that bodies minds brains and souls all work together um, and that all children are capable um, if moving. we can accept <laughs> keep them moving, Get them um, moving. and That's fearlessly it. somehow let us and whatever professionals are around you connect the dots through those stressful years right. where you see the development kind of skewed or the fearfulness of my child's not reading, my child's not doing this, my child can't sit still, um, that there are strategies and tools everywhere um, to honor children exactly where they are and help them reach their potential. Um, but our wrap-up on um, See Me, Hear Me, Love Me is always the same, and it's how have you got this? Um, how have you got this knowing that what you know about brains, learning, vision, senses um, creates a better world for kids and families and grown-ups? Dr. Lampert. I do that through my practice, my software development. It's my passion. People talk to me about retiring. I say, I would never retire. As long as I'm able, I'm in the world doing what I do. I'm very passionate about and changing people's lives. And the belief in that knowledge. Um, if mm -hmm. you can get that knowledge down to one sentence. Um, <laughs> sorry. Oh, my goodness. That's like a three-hour discussion here. Just don't take for granted that a 2020 eye is a good visual processing system. Thank you. Thank you. Mira, how have you got well, this? Well, how have I got this? Um, I look for what kids can do. Let's look at their strengths. And when we get them excited about learning, there isn't anything, anything that gives you any more joy. I mean, the same sort of passion that, that Dr. Lambert's talking about. When you see a kid go, aha, I get it, and they've gotten it for themselves, that's that spiral up versus making them do things over and over that they're not so good at. So, yeah, looking for what kids can do. Um, I'm always a little surprised when we hear from parents and their frustration and they call for help and we're certainly, we, and, and, and we want them to call for help, whether we can all connect with other, like you said, other professionals. But when we ask, well, what is your child good at? And there's this silence. Parents, look for what your kids can do. That's what we get. That's the vision we need. Yeah. Is that vision of optimism and hope and, and trust? I, I have to agree with Mira. I mean, the, the changes in the children we see it changes their entire lives. Oh, I mean, even these prism lenses I prescribe. One child I remember once I put them on. Within two weeks, he was hitting baseballs where he was the last picked on the team. You know, schoolwork went up. You know, through intervening with the peripheral vision system. And Mira does the same thing with movement. It's just. 
I just hate to think about all these kids that slip through the cracks and never have the opportunities. Thank you. Thank you so very much. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow, listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey, loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules, you write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. We're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to The Front and The Follow for the song listen. We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.